Hello and welcome to the Burning Ones podcast. Our goal is to help people all around the world experience the love and power of Jesus and live passionately devoted to Him. We pray that the podcast is just that for you. Thank you for joining us on this journey and may burning witnesses arise for Him all around the world. All right. How's everybody doing? Come on. That may be one of the best responses I've ever got when asking how people are doing. Yeah. Um, if you have a Bible, let's, uh, let's open it to Philippians chapter 3. Uh, I feel like I have the same conversation in my heart from the first gathering. However, an entirely different perspective and scope um, to frame in the same emphasis, uh, if that's okay. Um, it's, it's a joy to be with you guys. Uh, I said that to the first gathering as well, not because I'm trying to follow protocol. Uh, I probably wouldn't say it if I didn't really feel it and think that it was true. Uh, I'm not really just for all of the, the weird stuff, you know, that comes along with a lot of the presentation and a lot of like the mechanical things of ministry life and things of that nature. Uh, but it really is a joy to be here with you guys over these days. Uh, we feel like we are supposed to be here, which is important. Like we've asked the Lord and felt a sense of sending uh, to come and be with you guys. Um, that's not to say we don't feel that other times um, where there's not that sense. We just say no. Um, and people at times get super bent out of shape when you say no because it's not expected. You know, but I mean, honestly, like I'm only interested in doing what I feel like the Lord is saying to do. I don't feel like that was mystical when Jesus said it, right? That it was like a reference, some abstract thing or parabolic for something else. I feel like he had such a deep, intimate place of communion, like fellowship, a walking and a knowing of his father. And it radically affected his day-to-day -day life. He said what he heard his father saying. He did the things he saw his father doing. Uh, he even says, I didn't come to do my own will. I understand I have the potential to do a lot of things, but I'm not just interested even in potential. I want to fulfill purpose. All right, And sometimes potential and purpose aren't the same. Uh, but he discerned the voice of the Lord. Uh, and so we're, we're really honored to be with you guys. I say we. Um, Stephen is, is with me. We run together in every area of life, um, international ministry organization, planting um, house churches in Orlando and Central Florida. Uh, our families walk together life on life. Uh, my wife and my children, who I don't know, maybe watching this one, we're three hours different. We're from Orlando. So uh, it's not nap time anymore. They may be watching. Um, I have two little guys. I have a three-year-old and a one-year-old. And then I have three others that are older than them. So I have five total. Two girls, three boys, 12, 10, 7, 3, and 1. Oh yeah, I remember. Um, I know all their names. <laughs> I remember all of their birthdays. I know what flavor ice cream they like. I know their Chick-fil-A orders. 
Um, I remember one time coming home from the store and my son had only seen one thing of ice cream that I had pulled out of the, one of the bags. And this is my 10-year-old. And tears filled his eyes. And he said, Dad, I don't, I don't like that flavor. <laughs> like, this is Josiah. And he's like, Dad, Ariah and Emma, those are my two girls. They're 12 and 7. He's like, Dad, they like that flavor. It was mint chocolate chip. He's not a, he's just not, that's not his thing. And his tears, or tears filled his eyes, and I could tell he was really upset. And I was letting it happen for a minute because I was trying to see where he was going. And he was like, I don't like that flavor. And I was like, bro, I know. And he was like, whoa. I said, let me ask you a question. Do you think that I would have gone to the store and only brought home what your sisters liked? Do you not feel that I don't know you personally, your desires, and that if I'm going to do something for them, that I wouldn't also do something for you? And he was like, uh, I think you would. <laughs> but for him, he hadn't seen it come out of the bag yet. You know, like, like he hears me, but he hasn't actually seen, like there's no substance to what he's hoping for yet. And, uh, and so I pulled, I think it was cookie dough or cookies and cream or something out of the bag. Right? And I was like, bro, listen, like, dad's got you. Like, even when you see others being blessed, and even when you see the Father fulfilling the desires of others, right, at times with tear-filled eyes, we can have this sense of, like, man, did you forget about me? Did you overlook me? Um, I just want to, want to encourage you. The Lord sees you. He knows exactly where you are. He knows exactly what you're doing uniquely, intentionally, to love Him and walk with Him. Um, and so... Uh, my wife and, and children, they send their greetings. Uh, we were not traveling together this time. We're better together. Uh, we love being together. But uh, we were not traveling together this time. And then Stephen, he has six children. So I joked with the first gathering, we are an expensive Chick-fil-A bill together. There's 15 of us. When you call a restaurant to get a table for 15 and they think a whole party of folks is coming and you're like, no, that's two families. Like there, There's a lot of us. But it's amazing. We wouldn't have it any other. Wouldn't have it any other way. Uh, and so it's a joy to be together with you guys over these days. Uh, I'm believing for the Lord to do something extraordinary to mark our lives uh, where we would never be the same. Uh, what I mean by that is emotionalism rubs off. The high from a certain moment, event, uh, these types of things. All of that is not enough to sustain long-lasting transformation, right? We, we, we jump from thing to thing, from event to event, right? We're like, but I'm asking the Lord to do something by his spirit in each one of our hearts and lives where he would, in a greater way, conform us to the image of Jesus. We want to see him a little more than we've ever seen him. We want to become more like him a little more than we've ever known to become like him in the place of transformation. Because this is the goal, the Romans 8 predestination. It is to conform a people that have come to believe into the image of Jesus. That is where our lives are headed. Jesus is the pattern son. He is the one to whom all of us that have come to believe are now being conformed into his image. So we want to see him more rightly, more clearly, 
more than we ever have, and then out of that seeing, we want to ask God for grace to become what it is that he has chosen to reveal of his son to us. Amen? Amen. All right. Uh, Before we jump into Philippians chapter 3, I want to honor your pastors, your leaders here. Uh, Thank you for having us. Uh, We had the privilege to have dinner with them last night. And if you've been around people long enough, right? I'm not going to categorize or create a specific conversation of people. But if you've been around people at all or long enough, you've learned that all you have to do is let someone talk long enough. And you begin to learn what they really care about. Because the scripture says the abundance of the heart makes the mouth speak. That eventually what's in our heart comes off our lips. And so if you let someone talk long enough, eventually you begin to learn what it is that they are passionate about, what their interests are. Um, And it was amazing. Really, it was refreshing for us to be able to sit together and to have a conversation with people that love Jesus for Jesus. Uh, And I say that that way on purpose. Because there are a lot of reasons, especially in our day and age, to love Jesus. But Jesus is not some sort of bridge that we trample upon in order to access the outcomes or the destinations that we really desire. Right? We don't love Jesus so that we can grow our influence in ministry. I, I, lo- I know... And I've come around people that love their unique ministry gifting more than they love Jesus. People that love their own platform, their own profile more than they love Jesus. Right? We love Jesus more than we love the church. Right? We love the church because we love Jesus. (laughs) And we know that as we love Jesus, he's building his church. Uh, But at times, we can fall into a place where we fall out of love with Jesus, even falling in love with things that Jesus has given us. And Jesus is not some bridge. And so it was really refreshing to sit with them, just to hear their hearts um, in a setting that wasn't necessarily conducive to trying to perform or fake it. Right? Just sharing dinner, sharing our hearts. Um, And we have recognized very quickly uh, what a gift they are. And really thankful to the Lord for connecting us. (laughs) And as you said, quickly. (laughs) Um, So I just wanted to honor your leaders, your pastors here uh, in a public way. right? Because we, we are, we're grateful. And you never go wrong with honor. All right, so Philippians chapter 3. Um, I would like to connect things that are ultimate into our experience day-to-day in what we would call immediate. Um, It has been said that we have to have theology so that we can understand how to set our lives up practically. And what that means is a lot of our living comes out of what we are believing, Right? It's the majority of what the New Testament scope is trying to communicate. Consider the book of Ephesians. 
The first three chapters, Christology, as, as theologians would consider it, it's beautifully communicated. It's all of these like lofty, revelatory truths and things that are just amazing. What God has done, his eternal purpose, worked out in Christ, inheritance for the saints, all of what's now available to us. And it's all this beautiful language. It's the scope of the church conquering the powers of the air. It's it's all of these beautiful things that are true, and then you begin chapter 4, and chapters 4, 5, and 6 begin with a lot of the nuts and bolts, a lot of the practicalities, a lot of, well, these things are real, and they're true, and therefore you, and therefore, because these things are real and true, and for you, you now have to know and consistently set your life up in a way that is going to, by the way you live, amen in an immediate way, the things that you say you believe in an ultimate way. Because we want our life to shout amen. And when people see the way that we live, we want them to be able to interpret what it is that we say we believe. And here's where part of the challenge comes in, is where we know how to adopt the language of things that we say we believe, but yet we're not consistently setting our life up in a way that is going to model or represent or demonstrate immediately those things that we say matter to us mostly that are ultimately. So we have to think well so that we can behave well, which is why Romans 12, Paul's charge would be don't conform to the pattern of the world. Now, let's just be reminded he's talking to believers in Romans. It's not a book written to the world. He's talking to believers, and at times, the tendencies to conform, to pattern, to receive instruction and influence, and to be discipled from other areas other than the scriptures as an authoritative plumb line in our lives, and the unique role of the power of the Spirit to lead us and guide us tenderly to the good shepherd. So we want the influence of the voice of the spirit and the word to be foundational and to govern the place of our discipleship. Which means we're looking to the word and we're looking to accountability to the spirit to reveal Jesus who is the word incarnate. So what the spirit is leading you to do is never going to compromise the character of Jesus revealed by God in this word. Right? Which is why we want the role of the spirit and we want the unique plumb line that the word creates for our discipleship. Which means I'm not looking to Hollywood on how I should treat my spouse. It means I'm not looking to some rock star in the music industry and their Instagram profile to figure out what they think about or have to say about some cultural issue so that I can align my heart with their perspective. I don't need Hollywood's perspective. I don't need the music industry's perspective. I don't need some talking head on a political platform to reveal to me where it is that my attention is supposed to be drawn. I have the Bible and I have the Holy Ghost and so the word and the spirit 
brings influence and instruction to disciple me. And then the unique role when my life is knit together, Ephesians 2, with others that are walking out that same journey. And now we become a Hebrews 11 company of exiles who are a sign and a wonder who don't belong to the age of which we've been assigned, right? You're not an accident. You're not here by just the consequence of a moment of intimacy, right? Regardless of what two came together to produce you, God said yes to you. For I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. And even as he reveals to Jeremiah, I knew you. I had a plan for you, a destiny for you, a call for you. Now, I don't know exactly all of what that means, right? That God knows us before we enter the womb. But I know that he said it, and I trust in his character. And I know that he's not a man, that he should lie. So that means that I'm not here on accident. I'm not a consequence of whatever my circumstances were that brought me into the timeline or the moment of history where I'm setting up my life. That means that God said yes to me. Because God understood that this moment of history was necessary for me to be a part of so that I could love him, live for him, fulfill purpose for him, and obey a unique call that he has laid on my life right here, right now. And for that, Paul says, don't conform to the pattern of the world. In Romans 12, it would be the pattern of the world. In 1 John 5, 16, it would be the sway of the wicked one. In Ephesians 2, Paul would call it the governing forces of the powers of the air. He says, you've been freed from that. He says, but God, it's probably two, not, not the two most powerful words, but two of the most powerful words, two of very important words, I'm sure, in all of our lives. I was heading this way, but God. I was living in darkness, but God. I was satisfied with addiction and the pursuit of myself, but God. I was broken and suicidal and desperate, but God. And Paul says that there was a time when all of us in Ephesians 2 were living under the power of the tyranny of the rulers of the air. This is Ephesians 2 language. At one point, all, which means there's only two conversations. There's two categories, those who are living there and those who are not. There is no specialized middle area for people that are amazing. They're just not saved yet. <laughs> and if we don't create the terms, then we lose a lot of the urgency because we make exemptions for people that we've determined are great when the scriptures is not necessarily interested in who's good or great, but it's who's dead and who's alive. And Paul says, at one time we were all dead in our trespasses. Rebels to God and his cause, casting off his love and his leadership, but God. 
through his tender, loving mercy, the richness of his kindness, his grace extended to us through his own desire and humbling means to enter into the human story in a human vehicle, which is Philippians 2. God humbled himself to become a man. And as if that wasn't extraordinary enough, as a man chose to humble himself as a servant, and as if that wasn't humble enough, even as a servant chose humility to lay down his own life, and as if that is not absurd enough, then even in the choice to willfully, joyfully lay down his own life, chose the most humiliating, excruciating death that could be experienced, God is humble. And by his own desire and choice of humility, but God has chosen to pave a way to change the conversation or the category for our lives. And Paul says, do not conform to what has become the pattern that the world sets itself up by. Because the world is on a discipleship agenda. And like a vacuum, they're trying to suck people into what John in 1 John calls the sway of the wicked one. Again, Ephesians 2, the tyranny of the powers of the air. Right? Jesus says, though the enemy of the world comes, I am not afraid. For he has no thing in me. Paul says don't conform because we are now a new creature. 2 Corinthians 5, if any man is in Christ, that man is now a new creature. He is a new creation. Old things have passed. All things have become new. Now our lives no longer belong to us. We're living as ambassadors Jesus is king. We are his representatives. He has taken our lives, translated us out of darkness into the kingdom of his son that he loves, which is Colossians language. We are now living in light of our transformation and God pulling us into his story. History belongs to God because it's his story. And he is Lord over the timeline. And what he began in the beginning out of a desire to share himself with a people forever, right? God has no needs. He is all-powerful. If he had a need, then it would affect the idea or the reference of him being all-powerful because the idea is is if you have all power, you should also, out of that power, be able to satisfy the needs that you say you have. God has no needs, but it doesn't mean that he doesn't have desires. He might not need anything, but it doesn't mean that there are not things that he wants. And out of desire, God chose to move and create. And part of that was to form a family, to share himself with a people forever and ever and ever. Because God is a family man. (laughs) In himself, He is a divine community. He is Father, Son, and Spirit. 
He is a divine community. He is a divine family. And out of the enjoyment of this Trinitarian experience and fellowship, the idea is this is so awesome. Like, this is so amazing. Let's create people that we can share ourselves with so that they can see how amazing this is and how awesome it is forever and ever and ever and ever. Like, that's what we want. Do we need that? Maybe not, because we already enjoy this so much. It's already amazing. But we want this. And Paul says, in light of God's story... And now, God not only paving a way to have a family of new creatures, but also the release of his power in order to take what is a broken, insecure, hostile, rebellious creation. God has released power by his own spirit in order to take a creation that was hostile to him and to not only make them a little better than they used to be, right? Because this is not what the born again experience is. The born again experience is not, well, you know, I've got this old house and it's rotting and decaying, but like what I'm going to try to do is I'm just going to try to paint the outside and hope that nobody ever sees like on the inside, Like, man, like, everything is rotting. Like, everything is decaying. Right? Like, man needed more than a little bit of makeup to the exterior of the house. What God needed was, or what man needed was power from God to actually change the makeup of man and not just apply a little bit of makeup to man on the outside. Right? It's not just about learning new tricks all the exteriors, all the images, all the religious facades. No, this is not the born-again life. The born-again life starts with the understanding of Romans 5. Because of the first Adam, an inheritance of death, condemnation, fell upon all of the human experience. This was the first Adam. Because in Romans 5, Jesus is referenced as the last Adam. We need to understand Adam more than just a man that lived in a moment of history. Adam is referenced as a version of humanity. He is a version of humanity, right? Like, I've got an iPhone. That's not an iPhone plug. I promise you that. But I've got an iPhone. And at different times, my phone suggests that it's time for an upgrade. The software needs some tweaking to it. Adam was the first version. Jesus is referenced as the last Adam. Why is he last? Because there never needs to be another human to live the life that God desires. Jesus is a man. He is the God-man, fully God, fully man. And he has lived the life that all of us are called to, that none of us will ever be able to fulfill without his life and power at work on the inside of us, actually allowing him to be himself in us to where he is the one that is living the life that we can't live through us. And he is the last 
Adam. And Paul says in Romans 5, if the first Adam brought death, if the first Adam brought condemnation, if the first Adam brought bondage upon the whole human experience, and this is an inheritance that is fallen upon all of creation, then how much greater the man Jesus, how much more life, how much more peace, how much more joy, how much more grace is now available to those who no longer are trying to do it the world's way, but are choosing to pledge their allegiance to Jesus and actually through the release of God's spirit now being planted or deposited into the hearts and lives of those that believe how much more is there now freedom to live this life in God and to actually successfully fulfill what it is that God desires Jesus is the last Adam because there never needs to be another he is now the pattern he is now the goal. He is now the image to which all of our lives are being uniquely conformed. Jesus is what God is after. And he's after a people that look like Jesus. That's what he wants. He wants a people that look like Jesus. Not just people who adopt a new language and wear Christian merch. Although I'm into the merch. Yo, I got you. Like, I'm into the merch. I, I love the merch. But we're not just trying to decorate the outside. The born-again experience is a wild transformation at a default or fundamental level on the inside. You are not just now a new version of the old man. The old man, Romans 6, has been laid to death. He has been put in the grave. I love the Passion Translation. It says you don't live in that house anymore. You've moved out. That's no longer your primary place of residence. You can't associate with that address anymore. And you don't reserve the right to vacation there whenever you deem it's appropriate. You are a brand new creature. You are a new version of human. You are not the same thing that you used to be. God has done something so deep, so real, so powerful and transformative. He has made you an entirely different thing, which is why Paul says you are a new creature. You are a new creation. And on a fundamental level, it's a new nature. Because out of your old nature, that came with what we now know to be old appetites. Because your old nature was hungry for certain things, thirsted after certain things. And you spent a lot of time conditioning, or let's use a churchy word, discipling your life to satisfy those appetites in particular ways. Some of us spent decades learning how to satisfy certain appetites that we have in ways that in that time was normal. And the reason that it was normal is because it was flowing naturally out of a sin-inherited nature. 
Because what comes out of your nature is natural. And some of us didn't know any different. It's what everybody else was doing. It's what the world said we should be doing. It's what my own unique hungering and thirsting said I was supposed to be after, how I was supposed to satisfy those things. It created certain longings, certain cravings, certain pursuits. But Galatians 5 says, now we are a spirit people. And the spirit has individually and powerfully set us free from the demand to feel like we have to satisfy the cravings of our natural man. What it does not say is that they will all together immediately go away, which is why we need discipleship. Discipleship in one way could be understood as the retraining of our appetites to satisfy them the way that God says is right. Which is why in Matthew 5, it's those that hunger and thirst after righteousness. We're no longer hungering and thirsting after perversion, after lust, after addiction, after debauchery and corruption and hostility and darkness. No, my hunger and my thirst to satisfy these cravings that way has been abolished by the last Adam. Because the last Adam has given me a life that has conquered the life of the first Adam. Because divine life conquers self-life. Or at least it's what should be happening. And it's why we need discipleship. We need discipleship so that we can retrain our lives how to satisfy the appetites that are coming out of a new nature. Because God has given me a new nature. I'm not just some religious thing that fits into the world. I'm not just worldly and religious. No, that's not the born-again experience. The born-again experience is I am a new version of human. God has given me divine life. I am now the tent, the temple, the tabernacle of the Holy Spirit. I am now living my life in light of it's no longer I that actually live. The I has not just been reduced down like, oh, bro, like I'm trying to deny myself. No, the I has been abolished. It's no longer I that live, but it's Christ. And because he's in me, he is destroying every argument by his own power and grace for me to excuse living fleshly. Right? And, and I get it. You can try to over-spiritualize it at times if you want and justify it. Well, bro, like even Paul had a thorn, bro. Like, you know, we all have these issues and we're all going to struggle and we're all going to deal with stuff until like I... No, 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 no. You keep sowing into the lie if you want to. I've chosen to sow into the truth because it's going to be difficult to reap the reward of the truth when you make a greater investment into the lie. And some of us have to come out of agreement with the lie so that we can begin to receive and reap the consistent rewards of what's true. And what's true is I am not the same thing that I used to be. Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 says, I am what I am, and what I am has been made real and made possible by the grace of God. So what is he saying? Don't get it twisted. I realize I used to be something. And what I used to be is not what I am right now. 
Paul understood or he interpreted his life and what he was about by God's story and the power that God has released to bring him into that story through his own life. And we need to see our lives the same way. And we need to align our lives in an immediate sense with the things that we say are ultimate. And this is what we find in Philippians chapter 3, for anybody who thinks I forgot. (laughs) Paul is speaking about those who are out preaching. He talks about those who are doing it with selfish ambition and all of this crazy stuff. All right, times haven't changed. But Paul says they're enemies of the cross. That's harsh. But then, as you come into verse 18 and 19, in verse 19, he says, whose gods were their appetites. Another translation says, whose god was their stomach. Another translation says, whose god was their bellies. Whose God was their cravings. Now we've already established that we're a spirit people. So we don't reserve the right to have our lives governed or dominated by the cravings of this fleshly man. This fleshly man is no longer the supreme leader of my life. Right? Because immediately, Galatians 5, we almost always interpret that, in most cases, in a sexual connotation. That is not all what Paul is talking about. He's talking about the demands that this flesh has and how at times those demands want to rule over the quality of life that we experience. It's the Romans 7 wrestling. At times I know what I want to do, but I can't seem to do those things. I keep doing things I don't want to do. When in reality, if we don't believe Romans 5... And if we haven't set our life up in Romans 6, then we end up experiencing the wrestling of Romans 7. And that's why in chapter 8, verse 1, he says, and there is therefore no condemnation. Because we have to believe what's true so that we can behave according to what's true. And at times, there's a struggle with that because of the unique tensions, demands, or cravings that this fleshly tent wants to apply to our life. But Paul says in Galatians 5, you're now a spirit people. And when you live by the spirit and walk in the spirit, the spirit gives you power to conquer all of those cravings. The spirit actually gives you real power to deliver you from the bondages that those appetites and where they're desiring to drag you used to bring you. You don't have to be crippled by those cravings anymore. You have the spirit. You don't have to live in bondage to those appetites anymore. You have the spirit. Your life doesn't have to be this up and down roller coaster Christian experience because depending on how you feel you're doing with managing certain appetites is how you're going to demonstrate your quality of experiences in God. And for some of us, if we're doing well, then we feel great and God is great. But the minute we fall back under tempting, testing, 
tension with certain appetites that we might realize aren't as transformed as we want them to be. And that can be for a variety of reasons. All right, it can be because we just haven't yet brought proper, proper discipleship to our lives to learn how to consistently live in the freedom that God has given us. Because the two are not the same. You can be delivered in a moment, but it can take you a lifetime to learn how to live delivered. And you can forfeit deliverance because you have not yet discipled your life to learn how to set it up to consistently live in the freedom of that deliverance experience. Right? And then we say things like, well, I told you it wasn't real. Like, I knew that God didn't really touch me. I knew that my, my emotions were just overhyped. Or, you know, I know they said it, but I didn't ever really believe it. Like, I don't know. No, 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 no. Again, we, we go with what's true. Right? And we're accountable. We want real discipleship. And the influence of the word and the voice of the spirit and a community of believers is going to help to consistently help us to learn how to set our life up, to live in the full reality of what God says is possible, which is what he paid for. Right? And so as spirit people, we now set our lives up to train our appetites to hunger and thirst after what it is that is in alignment with what we know God wants. Right? This is what the Spirit's power is at work on the inside of us for. Jesus said it in Acts 1, I'm sending power from heaven. And in that day when the Holy Ghost has come upon you, you shall receive power. But power comes with a purpose. Power is not just to satisfy all of our own individual objectives. Power has an agenda. Jesus said, you shall receive power when the Spirit comes on you to be my witnesses. The idea of witness is martyr, right? Like living martyrs. So we get it like our lives are yielded. We become subject to the loving rule of Jesus. He's king. We belong to him. It's amazing. The spirit is more and more intimately and powerfully fueling greater surrender to the lordship and the leadership of Jesus. That's what the spirit is doing, bringing me in a greater way, lovingly subject to the rule of Jesus. I'm an ambassador. I'm a representative. I see my life as one that has been strategically positioned on the timeline of history right now to obey God, to glorify him in whatever respected place of influence God may have crafted out for me. That's what I know is my call. Right, the, the call comes across all of life and not just specialized things that we think are important that God cares about. We are all in full-time ministry. We are all ambassadors. We are all representatives. We all have the power of the Spirit. We all carry the ministry and the word of reconciliation. And we should all interpret our lives by the reality of being a spirit person. And we need actual training on how to recondition our appetites. Because being filled with the Spirit is problematic. Because you can't satisfy 
these new appetites with old ways of living. And so if we're still at times trying to straddle the fence or dabble in a little bit of this or date a little bit of this or enjoy some of this when we feel like it's necessary because, bro, like you don't understand, like I do love God and man, I go to church and da, 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 but I've still got this appetite, man, and like it just rages at times and bro, like I, I just, I don't know why I do it, but I just keep craving and I just keep caving and I just keep giving in and I just keep going to whatever thing it's telling me is supposed to satisfy what it is that I'm hungering for? No! Let's make it super simple. Stop it! Stop! Like I tell my kids at times when they're running 100 miles an hour doing all kinds of crazy stuff, stop it! And sit your butt down somewhere and listen to what I'm saying and let me regather you into the values of the house and the principles about how we're actually going to relate to one another and life happening around us. Stop it. <laughs> and these new appetites, they have a way that God desires for them to be satisfied. And if we're not careful, we mismanage our appetites and in different moments, we end up trading things that are ultimate to satisfy what is only immediate. Right? Genesis 25 is a great example of this. It says Esau comes in from the day. Jacob is there making his little stew. And Esau ain't for me either. And Jacob understands the moment. And he is going to try and leverage a mismanaged hunger in his brother's life to rob from him something that is ultimate to seem to satisfy something that is immediate. And because of a mismanaged hunger, an appetite that Esau did not have full control over, well, we understand where the first Adam failed in the garden according to his appetites the last Adam has overcome in the Garden of Gethsemane. We understand man shall not live by bread alone. We understand Jesus is the bread that comes down from heaven. John 4, the drink that always satisfies. And we understand Esau comes in and he's like, bro, I'll do anything. Just give me some of the stew. And Jacob is like, oh, you want the stew, do you? Oh, give me your birthright. And he's like, bro, stop playing games. Give me the stew. And Jacob is like, oh, no, 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 no games. There's enough stew to go around. No games. If you want the stew, give me the birthright. And Esau's like, bro, like, what is up with you, man? He's like, what is the birthright to me anyways? In the consideration right now, the birthright doesn't seem to be producing an effect or a consequence that is seeming to override this immediate hunger that is driving me. 
and what it is that I think I want in a moment in the consideration of what seems to be ultimate. I'm willing to forsake certain things that I have to wait in a sense for, for the experience of what I can do right now to satisfy a particular hunger or thirst. And he's like, you want the birthright? Take the birthright, bro. Like, just have it. It's yours. Give me the stew. I'm famished. I'm starved. And we know the transaction takes place. Right? And if we're not careful, like Philippians 3 says, as he's speaking about a people whose gods are their appetite. What does that mean? That means whatever we think we are hungry for in a moment is what we feel the right to have. And we are willing to pay any price and at any cost to satisfy our lives immediately. Even at times, if it is seeming to bring compromise to things that are ultimate. And it's one of the reasons that the role of fasting and praying is so necessary in the life of the believer. Because at times, we don't realize the attachments that are being created through the things that we are consuming in life. John chapter 4, Jesus talks to the woman at the well, and he tells her, now, now let's just set it up right, he has planted himself in an everyday space. It is routine, it is rhythmic. It is ordinary. It is normal. He knows that this is a place this woman is going to go to several times a day in order to satisfy a thirst or an objective in her life. And this is where Jesus plants himself. It's not coincidence. He's way too intentional. He's way too attentive to the intimate details of our lives to just consider it to be coincidence. God is not random. And Jesus plants himself right there at the well. And the contrast is a natural thirst with a spiritual thirst. The contrast is how she is satisfying her life and a thirst that her life has on a day-to-day basis. And his offering is not just some other thing that is going to replace this well. You know, it's like the person who's like, well, bro, I don't smoke a pack a day anymore. You know, as a matter of fact, I don't smoke at all. But now I just go through three cans of dip. (laughs) Bro, this isn't replacement theology. You know what I mean? We're not just after substituting like one thing for another and then creating some totem pole value system. Well, this isn't as bad as that. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't watch this type of stuff anymore, but now I'm onto this stuff. And like, no, no, no. No. Again, stop it. And he plants himself at the well. And he says, if you actually understood who it is that you're talking to. And who it is that's asking you for a drink. Then you would have asked me. And I would have given you a drink that would actually put you in a place where you thirst no more. And she says, ooh. Are you saying that like you have a well that's greater than our fathers, like Jacob and all of them? Right? Like, and still not getting it. You know what I'm saying? Like, and still not understanding. But the contrast is, I am going to give you myself in a way 
that is going to upend the desire and the pursuit to satisfy this other thirst. Right? And if we're not actually understanding the terms, then at times we see fasting as a punishment. We see fasting as a season of bondage rather than a unique invitation to freedom. Where the Lord is going to begin to deal with all of the other desires and the ways that we are satisfying hungers and thirsts through the connections and the associations of what it is that we're consuming. Right? Let's use food for an example in the conversation, although uh, I do believe fasting is about food, but there are other things that we create associations with. So in the conversation of fasting, I'm talking about food. I was joking with a brother before this gathering, and I said, it is not coincidental that desserts spelled backwards is stressed. <laughs> the brain... When it ingests or consumes certain things, there is a release of hormones and there is a release at times of endorphins and all types of other things that are creating a connection with what we're consuming that if we're not aware of, we end up in a bondage to something that we're consuming without realizing the actual strength or the why we have a particular connection with it. There are certain foods that release oxytocin whenever you eat them. Oxytocin is the chemical hormone that's released when a mom is trying to create a connection with a new baby through breastfeeding. Think of the strength of connection. There are certain foods that release oxytocin. Dopamine, which is the pleasure sensor of the brain. It's that rush, that thing that satisfies. There are certain foods that release dopamine. There are certain foods that release oxytocin. There are certain realities of how we connect with food that is establishing a deeper connection. It's more than meets the eye, so to speak, or more than meets our lips. Right? And here now, we have a desire for certain things, not necessarily even because of the way they taste, although I'm sure that's important too, but more so because of the connection by way of chemically on the inside and what that's doing in order to satisfy something deeper than just the immediate hunger that we have. And a lot of times, depending on our emotional imbalances, what we feel driven towards, we can identify a lot of what we're actually connected to, even at times, in an unhealthy way. Well, I've had a bad day. I'm just going to grab a gallon of ice cream and sit in front of the TV. No, no, no. God wants you to do your coping in him. And at times, we don't understand the drive and the connection and how an invitation to fasting is freeing us from other bondages that we've developed over time. Where the invitation to freedom comes through feasting on the lamb. Feasting on the bread that comes down. Feasting on the drink that satisfies every thirst in our life. But if we're not aware of some of the conversation in an ultimate way, then we'll completely bypass or discredit God's invitation in an immediate way. 
Whereas it may be that he's trying to set our hearts free to love him the way that he desires by setting our appetites free. Right, because at times we want deliverance, but we also need deliverance in our appetites. And not just from things that we've associated that are bad addictions. <laughs> um, carb addiction is now an actual medical term. It's an actual medical term. And it's not even necessarily because we just love the carbs, but it's how they break down and it's the sugars and how that processes in our systems. And sugar is more addictive than crack cocaine. And some of us don't realize that until we try to do 10 days of no sweets. And then it's like, bro, I'd rather be burned at the stake. Like, that's just not something that Jesus would do, bro. Like, I don't hear God that way. Like, he just... Like, bro, that's you, man. Like, you've got a unique grace for that. You're called to that. And as funny as it sounds, there are certain things that if we're not careful, we fall under rather than continually conquering and rising above. And this is the reality of part of what Paul is talking about. As a spirit person, we should live an overcoming life. And we should not be okay with unique bondages that we just haven't determined are bad enough in order to deal with the right way. And this is where the role of fasting and praying comes in, where we receive an invitation from the Lord, right? And there are a variety of ways that you can fast. There's a variety of ways. You can do it through just plain discipline. Right, like you recognize the benefits and you just plain discipline. Psalm 35, 13, I humbled my soul with fasting is what David says. Or I now realize the benefits. I don't want to pay my mortgage payment every month, but I realize the benefits of paying that payment. Right, my kids, for some reason, don't want to brush their teeth every day. And I have to remind them of the benefits personally to them and then everyone else that is experiencing them in real life. You can fast by discipline. You can just look at your life and be like, man, what can I do on a consistent basis? Yeah. Right? Yes. Can it be at times that God speaks to you? Absolutely. Which is when it can be by design. Psalm 16, 7, David says, I praise you, O Lord, for you give me instruction or counsel in the night season. Where God can release dreams and visions. Or you can be intimately caught in the place of worship. And all of a sudden you think to yourself, I should fast next month. Let me just go ahead and like suggest to you, that's not your flesh. Right? I've never missed a meal on accident. Right? I'm not the guy that's like, oh, I just got so busy, like I forgot to have lunch. I didn't forget to have lunch. Any meal I've ever missed has been on purpose. It has been something that I've offered to the Lord. It has been an intimate act of obedience. I want to love you this way. You can have this. It's never been just like, oh, well, what do you know? Look at the time. Like, I've gone three days without eating. <laughs> you can do it by discipline. You can do it by design. Again, discipline, Psalm 35, 13. I humbled my soul with fasting. Just ask the Lord, what can I do on a regular basis? Look at your life, look at your calendar, and over time, be like, oh, I can do this. 
You can do it by design. The Lord can reveal to you his desires and invite you into particular time periods and particular designs or ways to fast. It can be by desire. Right? Hebrews 11.6. He rewards those who diligently seek him. Matthew 6, Jesus says when you fast. Right? When you do it. So the idea is, as believers, as followers of Jesus, as disciples, he gets to determine the way our life is disciplined best in order to be conformed to his image. It's his image, his desires, revealed to us, and he says, when you fast, I get it in Matthew 6, there's three when you do's. When you give, when you pray, when you fast. The three when you do's of becoming a disciple of Jesus. Right? So it can be by discipline, it can be by desire, it can be by design, it can also be by what I would like to call despair. Right? Psalm 69, 10, actually 9 and 10, David says, zeal for your house has consumed me, and the burden of those who reproach you has fallen on me, and I turn to you in fasting and with weeping where we recognize purposes that God has, things that he's longing to do. Yes, in an eternal way, overall, his eternal purpose worked out in Christ, Ephesians 1, but also how that eternal purpose is actively unfolding and advancing in our moment of history. And we recognize certain things that God wants to do. And so we give our lives in fasting and praying to join him in bearing his burden. Outside of the garden, he said, could you not tarry with me just a little longer? I'm longing to share my burden with someone. I'm longing to give someone access to the things that are on my heart. It's Genesis 18. Should we share with Abram things that we're getting ready to do pertaining to cities and regions? It's Ezekiel 22.30. The eyes of the Lord search to and fro throughout the earth, seeking after a man or a woman that would get into the gap on behalf of the land. The tragedy of Ezekiel 22 is that it says God found none. Right? The charge of number six, a unique people. I get it. Number six calls them Nazarites. There's 27 verses in number six. For some reason, we give a greater emphasis to the six verses that came out of that song, The Blessing. (laughs) And I get it, it's amazing. But what I'm saying is there's 21 other verses in that chapter about people who are going to make a vow to the Lord to give themselves to God in a way that is uncommon. In a way that is just not normal and subjected to what the cultural norms have become. I get it. There's a bunch of ways that other people say is okay to do this. I get it. There's the minimalist who wants to satisfy all of the Christian ideals with attending some gatherings, praying before meals, giving in an offering every once in a while. That's not what number six is talking about. It says if any man has a desire... And the desire that we have is in response to the desire that God has. Desire starts with the Lord. And when we become aware of his desire, 
for a person or a people to give themselves to him in a way that I get it is not normal and culture says you can do it a whole bunch of other ways and you don't have to be so excessive and you don't have to be so extreme but I am believing that God is going to raise up a people that don't think of it as excessive to live in response to the beauty and the worth of his son where we will live out of delight in Jesus and just not duty to religiosity. For what groom on his wedding day wants to show up at the marriage celebration and gaze down the aisle and realize that there is a bride who is there waiting for him but is not necessarily really there for him, but is there because of all of the unique interests that have been formed to what he's able to provide. She's there for the retirement package. (laughs) She's there for the compensation of the relationship. She's there out of a sense of being obligated with interest for him because of all of what he's able to give. But God is going to raise up a people and touch the hearts of a people that won't consider it to be extreme to live in love with Jesus for Jesus. To give their hearts to Jesus and whatever it is that he would ask, they are willing to deliver up because their hearts and their lives have been radically overwhelmed by the affection of a man who has now become the dream to them. And every other dream has lost its glistening lights in the face of the radiant one who has now become the dream, the ultimate obsession, the supreme fascination. And our lives now living addicted to Jesus is going to call us and cause us to do things that are going to be natural to our new nature, that are going to be radically opposed by our old old man, the system of the age, even at times the cravings that this fleshly life is wanting to bring to the surface of the experience that we have. And it is going to require a place of training consistently, consistently to remind my heart of who I belong to power that I've been given to live a life that God has called me to and things that have become ingredients or components to that life that God says are best when utilized to conform me to the image of his son. And I believe that this morning, this afternoon, the Lord is interested in our appetites. And I say appetites because appetites can drive us to food. Appetites can drive us to entertainment, extracurricular activities. Appetites can drive us to a variety of things. Right? Daniel 1.8, Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the delicacies of the king's table. Daniel recognized that one of the battlefields in Babylon was the table. And he couldn't feast on what the culture was feasting on. 
right? Daniel 3, we realize that Nebuchadnezzar erects an image and releases a sound. And that he chose not to conform because the agenda through the images and the sounds was to normalize bowing. That was the agenda. It wasn't just to get them to watch certain things or listen to certain things. It was to normalize bowing throughout the culture of Babylon. And anyone that would not conform was going to be confronted with the penalty of the furnace, which was death. Because the way that they will always try to deal with you when they are trying to normalize bowing in culture is they will have to kill you if they can't conform you. And may God give us grace in the day when the stakes become high. And I'm not just saying steak to use it as a funny way in a conversation about fasting. But may the Lord give us grace in the days when the stakes become high. And may we recognize that the table plays a unique role. It plays a unique role. We feast upon the lamb. We feast upon the one who says man does not live by bread alone. The role of fasting and the crucible of a lifestyle of fasting is to make us aware of where the battlefields are in our own attention and affections. And at times we will be oblivious to how these appetites are being satisfied if we are not becoming discerning through the continued effort of giving ourselves to Jesus in fasting and praying. Again, the battlefield in Babylon was the table. Daniel 1. Daniel 3. Images and sounds. We need to be aware of what we're watching and listening to. We need to be aware of how these things are affecting us of the consequence of consuming certain things. Because lower level, entry level Christianity, is, is it right or wrong? That's what I need to know. Is it right or is it wrong? But there's a way to graduate from is it simply black and white, right or wrong, according to the rules. right? And we should all desire to mature in the place of this conversation. Because it can be right for the person next to you and wrong for you. Right? James 4. If any man knows what he should do and that man does not do that, then to him it is sin. And there's going to be individualized invitations to come away in the place of fasting and prayer from things that are radically, wildly affecting our attention and our affections at times that we're not even aware of. And it's why we need to actually be on one, meaning a fast, so that we can know how to live when we're off of one. Because sometimes I don't know until I know. And I have to get on one, meaning I have to give myself to the digging in the place of fasting and praying so that God can reveal to me the things that on a surface level are creating a consequence that require discernment on a spirit level because I can't always just evaluate my life by what my flesh feels or thinks. And I believe this morning the Lord is after our appetites because he's after in a greater way our affections and this is the contrast of John 4 I want to give myself to you in a greater way but you keep coming to this well every day 
And may the Spirit reveal to us the wells in our own lives that have been satisfying certain hungers and thirsts. And may the Lord give grace to not just reveal in a condemning way, for there is therefore now no condemnation. I'm not talking about in a guilt-ridden, chastising and condemning way. But may he reveal a greater place of intimacy and his greater desire for dependency on him through these other avenues of our own life and the conversation of our life so that in a greater, more whole way, we can be all his. Because I want to be his. And I want that to be more real than I just hear it when I say it. I want to know you can have me, Jesus. And whatever is creating an obstruction, whatever is standing in the way, whatever is resisting a deeper, more authentic place of encountering you, experiencing you, fellowship and communion, 2 Corinthians 6.17, for the one that has given himself to the Lord, the two have become one in spirit. I want to be yours and I want to be joined to you in a way that the full measure of what you've made available, I want this. So reveal to me spaces, places in my own heart where these appetites in my own life are trying to rule over the conversation. I don't want my God to be my appetite. I want my God to be Jesus. And I want him to rule over my appetites. And because he rules over my appetites and gives me power by his own spirit, I can be set free from the cravings and stop caving when they knock on the door. I don't want to become subject to things that I'm just hoping to avoid for the rest of my life. And if I can avoid it long enough, then that means that I've successfully mastered it. The conversation of fasting is not one for avoidance, it's one of mastery where the Spirit wants to master our desires and not just empower us to be afraid of certain things and so we dodge them for the rest of our life and then call them success. But where we are something new and we're not just suppressing something to hope that it doesn't ruin my life down the road. Where there's real transformation in my appetite and not just my own fleshly power to suppress certain things. Because the Spirit is not empowering suppression. It's empowering real transformation. And any appetite that we feel captive to, we need to offer to the Lord. We need to offer it to the Lord. To say, I can't do this on my own. But you've made me something new. And you've given me real power. And if you would touch me, if you would transform me in a greater way, if you would help me to undo the captivity that I experienced by this thing putting me in a particular bondage. Lord, here it is. You can have whatever, take whatever, touch me however. And I believe the Lord wants to do that for us this morning. Where we sense a real infusion, if you would, of the Spirit's power in our own life to saturate certain conversations that we have felt like a prisoner in. I was waiting. I didn't get it. <laughs> yes. 
ay, ay, ay. Some of us are like, where did this guy come from? <laughs> come on, let's stand together. Man, I believe the Spirit is going to transform our lives this morning. In ways maybe that we didn't even know we needed. All right, and for some of us, yes, this morning, but then for other ones of us, it may call us to a place of fasting and intentional prayer. To say, Lord, I'm asking you to sift my appetites. Here, I turn them over to you. A brother of mine wrote the foreword for the first fasting book that I wrote. And he referenced John the Baptist in the fasting. And he said, John, in the moment that it was required of him, was able to offer up his head because he spent a lifetime offering up his stomach. For God has hidden power to the discerning in things that seem weak and foolish. And he has conquered the intellect of the natural man through the invitation to childlike intimacy and obedience. And John was able to offer up his head in the moment where Herod called for it because he had spent a lifetime offering up his stomach and his appetites. And I believe the Lord wants to do the same for those of us that have gathered today. And so I'm going to take a moment and I'm going to pray for us because there may be some of us who already understand certain conversations and things that over our time together the Spirit has been putting a highlight on or has been touching in your own heart. And again, not in some guilt-ridden way because the Lord doesn't reveal these things to shame us. He reveals these things to set us free. He reveals these things to, in a greater way, touch us with his grace and his power to deliver us into a greater experience of what he paid the price for. And we want him to have what he purchased. I want him to have the fullness of what he paid for. And so that's going to require at times me looking in my own heart to say, Lord, what is there? And if I don't feel I can see it, then Lord, show it to me. So I'm going to take a minute and I'm going to pray for us all together. And then I'm going to ask if any one of us feel to respond and to come to the altar. I know that myself and there are several others who would love to lay hands on you to just believe in a real, extraordinary and authentic way for a touch of the Spirit's grace on your life this afternoon to set you free. Where addictions that have dominated your life, cravings that have tried to cripple you, and the quality of experience that you have living in God have tried to derail your devotion and your obedience to him. Because when I'm up, I'm up. And when I'm down, I'm down. All of these revolving doors, God can make them closed doors where we're no longer dealing with cyclical or revolving type issues but where he takes a revolving door and makes it a closed door. Man, I believe the Spirit really wants to touch us this afternoon. And so, Lord, I'm asking you right now, would you, by your power, Holy Spirit, touch us 
in the place of our longings and our appetites. What we hunger for, what we thirst after. Lord, because of mismanaged hungers in an immediate way, we don't want to compromise things that you have deemed or revealed to be ultimate. But we want the ultimate to inform and to inspire what is immediate. Help us, King Jesus. Release power on your people. Release power on your people. Release power, Jesus, on your people. Help us in the place of our longings, in our cravings, in the conversation of our lives when no one else is around, when the rubber really hits the road, and I'm dealing in the place of my desires, and the things that erupt there, the things that try to speak to me there, the different invitations and lures in that place. I'm asking you to help us this afternoon, Lord, because we recognize we can't do it on our own, and that's not what you've called us to. But we look to you as the hope, the hope of glory. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so, Jesus, do what we can't do. Yeah, I just feel to invite you. If you're, if you're battling an appetite or a craving that has a control in a conversation of your life, then I'm going to ask you to come to the front. We're going to lay hands on you. Now, this is not only relating to food, right? This can be things that we're entertained by in, thing, in ways that are obvious. Yes, man, if we're being entertained by perversion, by corruption, by lust, by things that are, that are obvious in a negative sexual way, man, and we want real freedom, man, if we're being entertained, if there's a certain level of enjoyment or satisfaction that's being derived out of a particular conversation and an appetite that keeps leading me or driving me to be entertained by something, then we need the Lord to touch us in a way that delivers us from the desires that we've just become proficient in hiding. <laughs> Addiction is demonic because it makes us crave something other than what we were put together to be obsessed with. It creates a craving for something other than satisfaction with the man Jesus. And it tells us in a unique way that our hope is found in a substance, in a drink, in some sort of pill. And there's a myriad of other conversations that are not necessarily as extreme as the ones that I've proposed. For some, it may be career ambitions. 
the pursuit of wealth, material things. It may be the drive at all cost. Everything else must be sacrificed at the altar of success in this area. And we need help from the Lord to manage our hungers and our desires and to reorient our lives to the priorities of a kingdom way of life. Yeah, I pray that the Spirit would draw you by His desire. So we're going to wait a few moments and we're just going to let let our Levite over here just continue to play. And man, in a moment of just tarrying before the Lord, And just asking the Lord, speak to me. And if you feel that that you're supposed to come up and get prayer, then let's come up and get prayer. But let's just wait. Let's just wait moments together. Here, lingering like this in God's presence. Yeah, Holy Spirit, have your way. Have your way, have your way, have your way. Have your way. A new creation by the blood of the Lamb and the power of the Spirit, a transformed people, a new version of humanity. Yeah. Thank you again for listening today. We pray that it has fanned into flame the love that you have for Him. If you would like more information about Burning Ones, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel, follow us on social media, visit our website at www.burningones.org or download our app.